Hi everybody and welcome to today's live broadcast. I'm delighted today to be here with Nick Knight from NK Active. Um, he's a podiatrist and he runs a practice down in Hampshire, but he also offers online sessions. Um, so wherever you are in the country or another country, um, you can talk to Nick about any of your um, physio-y, footy, leg related, running related problems basically. Is that how you would describe yourself, Nick? <laughs> I, I, I... Yeah, I, I think that's a very nice way. I'm, the more people get to know me, I'm not on these fuss around titles and stuff like that. I'm, the way I look at it, we're just here to help people get back to activity that they want to do. So if you're a runner, it doesn't matter if you want to make park run, or it doesn't matter if you want to go run an ultramarathon. You still have a goal, you still want to achieve it, and that's what we're here to help you do. Fantastic. And um, today we're going to be talking about overpronation because you and I had a little chat um, last week and it turns out that you've got loads of interesting things to say about it and we're going to do some myth busting around the whole concept. Um, so first of all, I really should say to you, um, what is overpronation? Just start with, I just want to jump right in there. So to keep it short and sweet, to be honest, we don't actually know. It's one of those things that we can say overpronate, but we don't actually know what normal foot motion is. So if we don't know what normal is, how can we define what over is? So actually, it sort of it doesn't exist. It, 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 in, in its simplest form, and I should imagine we'll get on later chatting around about the, the myths around injuries and how the foot relates to injuries and what pronation is and not because. Pronation is a normal foot motion. If, you, if your foot doesn't pronate at all, I am very, very worried because you need your, especially if you're a trail runner, you need your foot to roll in and out to compensate for uneven ground. If your foot can't do that, you're in a heap of trouble. And actually, some people's feet move more than others. Sometimes it's not so ideal for those people. Sometimes the body doesn't really, doesn't really care. To be honest, Andrew, we don't know what overpronation is. What people think it is, is a flat foot, the foot that rolls in a lot. That's when people come to us and say, I overpronate, I have a really flat looking foot. So then also to throw another spanner into the works, what a foot visually looks like has no correlation to what that foot does when you run it. Oh, so if you look like you've got really flat feet with no arch, then it doesn't necessarily mean that you're like, running like a flat-footed penguin type thing yeah yeah okay well that's really interesting and so um so it's basically really misunderstood as a concept and we don't really know how much overpronation is good or not good um so am i right in thinking it's it's like pronation is basically um when your foot like hits the ground when you foot strike um, it, it kind of turns, does it? Or how how would you explain the act of over of pronation itself? Overpronation is technically what we call a triplane motion. So it's not just the foot rolling in; it's the foot rolling in, the foot going up, and then the foot pointing out as well. So it's the, this sort of motion. And just because the foot rolls in, that doesn't mean it's always going to push up and turn out at the same rate as it which it rolls in as well. And then people will often look at the end. So what happens at its maximum amount 
but they don't often look at the journey from A to B. They often don't look at, well, where does that foot start? So if you've got a foot that is naturally a flat foot, and then you run and it rolls in a little bit more, or if you've got a foot that's a, in inverted commas, a normal looking foot, but rolls in slightly, but not as much as that flatter looking foot, which one is overprodating? Because you may find actually the normal looking foot's actually moving more, but it doesn't look as severe to the eye, but it's actually moving more. So is that one overpronating or is the other one overpronating? And this is why with this just this whole big issue. And it's something that I've known in the medical world for about the last fifteen years at least, that this is all one big myth. But it is still something when you're talking in the athletic world, it is still very much spoke about and it's still used to sell insoles and shoes and and stuff like this, right? If you read on the bus one myth, if you've ever seen those pictures, oh, you've got someone with a flat foot and it looks like their knees going in and the hips going out, and then you stand on this insole and everything straightened up, that's just one big lie. It doesn't happen. Um, it just it's just a load of rubbish. Um, and the, the difficult thing to get your head around is that the the amount so if you were to put insole in the foot to try and invert a common straighten the foot up, to offload the muscles, you may not visually change what that foot looks like. So the foot could still roll in visually as much as an insole, but it can still have a positive outcome because it reduces the load going through the muscle. And this is what we'll say to people when we give them insoles in clinic is we're not aiming to visually change what this looks like because that may happen and may not happen, but that hasn't got to happen to have a therapeutic effect. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm really sorry. I'm struggling to hear you, Nick. Um, is there any way you can be closer to the microwave? Microwave? The microphone. <laughs> um, um, yeah. Um, and if you're watching live, just let us know if you can hear Nick or not. Um, I can hear you, but it's like I have to really, really concentrate. I know you're on the loudest thing. Um, so, yeah, just... Um, One second. Let me know. Yeah. Can you just quickly switch the microphone then? Yeah. Give me one second. And we've got a couple of live, well, we've got a live question as well. If you've got any questions for Nick, if you're watching live or later on as well, we can put them to him as well. If you put in the comments, um, then we can answer them now as well. Is that better? Let me. Oh, good. Um, uh, everyone who's watching is saying they can hear you okay and. Uh, Alan says he's loud here, but a bit fuzzy. Yeah. Oh. yeah. Is that, can you hear me? Can you hear me oh, better now? Yeah, that's better. Yeah. There that's we really go. Good. Yeah. Sarah Bryan is also a podiatrist and chiropodist, and she says she was struggling to hear. So hopefully this will be fine. Hopefully this will be better. Oh, this is better. Yeah, I can hear you better. I hope everybody else. There can we now. go. 
there's about a, like a 60 second delay on the thing so hopefully everybody will catch up in a minute okay so so we've basically covered so far in case people couldn't hear properly um that pronation is a natural thing yeah yep. and um and it's it's basically like this movement as the foot kind of rolls through and no one knows how much is too much or not and it depends on your body and then some people will put you in insoles and try to straighten you up um but you were talking about flat feet before and trail running phil's got this question about flat feet for you just now yeah he says does nick think people with flat feet can improve their arches or are you simply born with a flat foot and can only develop your ligaments around your foot interesting question. so so yes the answer is yes you can improve it but it it means going under the knife and having very complex surgery done to the foot Yikes. you can't really do anything to strengthen the foot to magically grow yourself an arch but most people would have heard of in the running world would have heard of gabriel selassie yeah he was she said he was rather efficient at putting one foot in front of the other very quickly mm-hmm. he has the flattest feet in the world really? but no no one would ever change it because what was he could run a two hour four two hour three marathon or something around that time so just because you got a flat foot it's one of these things that in society we've been brought up the flat foot's a bad foot it's not a bad foot if it doesn't cause you any problems um and you're not more likely to get any problems than if you haven't got a flat foot so with regards to the strengthening exercises yes that's important if you've got a flat foot but it's also important if you haven't got a flat foot yeah but you can't change with what you're born with as i say to all our patients you can choose your friends, but you can't choose your family. You can't change your genetics. You are what you are. <laughs> you can choose your friends, but you can't choose your feet. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. Okay. So overpronation um, is a bit of a myth. And um, we we have all these issues because um, we have a lot of shoe brands that say, oh, you overpronate, so you need this shoe or you need this kind of medial post thing in here and yeah. you need this and you need this. Um, can we just talk a little bit about how... Um, shoe brands cope with this idea of overpronation and and what what we need to buy or not buy yeah. in terms of shoes. So shoe brands are improving. Uh, I have worked with a couple in the past, and they are trying to improve what we what they are providing as a product. And we have seen a change. So if you go back to five seven years ago, you used to have a lot of these dual density shoes. So you had different densities of this high density foam called EVA and the shoes to help with in inverted commas overpronation used to have more higher density EVA than it less. So it used to support the foot. But now we know actually if you look at the shoes now they're using a lot of like different variations of foam um, and they're not using that dual density stuff. So they are moving away from that concept of categorizing shoes as the neutral stability support shoes and i think this is where it all come from because we, we we've tried to pigeonhole people and their feet into certain things and it just it stuck the, the frustrating thing is we know it's not right but we haven't got a very slick simple solution like a lot of people used to do what we call the um the wet footprint test so everyone needs to get out of the bath stand and look at how much arch you can and not see and then match it to the shoe in principle that was really really simple but in reality it just doesn't it doesn't work um and footwear brands are changing however when i was speaking to one of the brands we were working with we said we're trying to change but obviously 
what governs how we change is what what consumers buy and what consumers want. So, for example, we know, for example, with footwear, we can eradicate laces. We do not need laces in shoes now. The the technology is there in shoes to have laceless shoes. They do it in football boots all the time now. The technology is there to have different fabrics that respond in different ways depending to the magnitude of load going through them. And we can physically do it. And I think it was Adidas did try to launch a laceless shoe and it was a bit of a flop because no one brought it. So a lot of the technologies are there, but as consumers, we're not ready for change. Ah, so we think we need overpronation shoes. So we'll go looking for an overpronation shoe to correct an issue which maybe isn't necessarily even there. Yeah. Like, but why, if people know they overpronate, like, is it because they think it's going to cause them an injury, maybe, or yes. like, or they're having foot pain or something, and then they're thinking, it, oh, it's overpronation. Is that yeah, why it is. people are going from? 100%. And it is sort of people in the healthcare world, we're just as much to blame for this because you'll still see posters, you'll still see clinicians talking about overpronation and you need support for this when actually we know you don't. Some people do, some people don't, but not everyone does. So until everyone starts changing the narrative, it's never really going to change because I can harp on about it and we can bust myths here. But we need everyone doing it to start getting that big culture shift ah, so away what, from it. What narrative would you like the overpronation narrative to change to then? So I would like it to move away from sort of trying to link pronation to injury. Okay. Um, and it, pronation has this very much bad sort of stigma attached to it. And, it, and, it, and it's not. And it's a lot of the time it's not actually related to someone's problem. In some people, it may be. And the issue is, is we know from the research is that a foot that pronates, has this overpronation, as it, as it were, doesn't, you can't correlate that to someone getting an injury. It doesn't mean you're at an increased risk of getting an injury. Mm-hmm. If you have certain injuries, having a foot that pronates more than another foot may aggravate a particular injury. So if you've got an injury to the inside of your ankle, and your foot rolls in, the more it rolls in, the more you're going to stress those ligaments. So if you're already injured, yes, it may not be helping, but it may not actually be related to why that injury happened in the first place. Mm -hmm. So if someone comes into clinic with us and they sort of said, oh, I've irritated a structure around my ankle, I think it's related to my foot pronation. And I said, well, we'll get speaking to them. But then they'll turn around and say, well, my mileage went from 20 miles a week to 100 miles a week. That's the issue. The foot is irrelevant to that. That's what we call a training error. Mm-hmm. And it's all about understanding what the body has capacity to tolerate. So in a nutshell, the stronger you are, the more sensible you are with your training, the less likely you are to pick up an injury. And that's not related to what your foot's doing. That's just injuries in general. But we can get very focused on this, this overpronation, overpronation okay. bit. Yeah. And and even now, it's still a thing. I will have parents come in with their three, four-year-old saying, got flat feet, need an insult to correct this. And we know that's not true, but it is still a thing spoken about, even though we know 15 years ago we disproved all of this, but we're still trying to change the narrative currently. But it doesn't help when you see adverts on social media of, yeah. you got flat feet, you must buy an insult, you must buy this. And it's just a load of 
rubbish. But you can see when someone has an injury, it's very easy to get sucks in into that. And it's it's not the patient's fault at all. They're just wanting to get back to running, understand why this injury may have occurred, get back to the activities they want to do, and then maybe try and prevent it keep happening again. Yeah. And is there a case ever for people wearing an in, an insole? Um, yeah. Like, wh- why would you why would you wear a running insole? So for me, is if you come in with no pain or symptoms, am I likely to give you an insole? No, I'm not, because you just adopt your policy. If it ain't broke, don't fix it. Yeah. Scenario. Um, for me, it's the question you've always got to ask yourself when giving an insole: What's the objective you want to achieve by giving someone an insole? It may not be to reduce pain. It may be to help. So, for example, some people with knee pain find using an insole because it feels like it offers the foot a little bit more support that helps with the knee stability. Mm. So you're not maybe giving it for pain. You're giving it for someone feels more comfortable, someone feels more stable, then that helps them. If you then go out of the running community and then look into the elderly population at falls risk, we know insoles can help some people with balance to reduce the risk of falling but it's always if you if someone's speaking about giving you an insole always ask the question okay what's the objective why are you giving me this mm. if they can't explain why then maybe think about twice whether actually you need the insole or not mm. that's interesting because i've got a question from hannah who's one of our patrons hannah neil um and she says um, she has high arches, so this is the opposite of the whole flat yep. feet issue we were talking about. So high arches, narrow feet, and she overpronates. She says um, yep. uh, she uses off-the-shelf orthotics um, super feet in her shoes, and she seems to it seems to work well. But she says should she be trying to work on her arches not collapsing, um, um, because it's it's what she's seen people advise her to do on Facebook. She said, disclaimer, I'm rubbish at keeping up with strength and conditioning. And so I'll answer two parts of that is one thing. There's also the other myth is that people think if you wear insoles, your foot's going to get lazy and get weaker. Yeah. A bit like when you wear glasses and your eyes are going to get weaker. That's not the case. The, The insoles don't brace the foot. They just help support foot function. So we actually know you're not going to make anything weaker so if you're using something like a super feet and you perceive there to be a benefit and you're not getting negatives, there's no reason to stop using it unless you want to stop using it. So I wouldn't be have any fearful about am I teaching myself bad habits and thing, everything on those lines. And sometimes the actual the higher arch foot can be more difficult and tricky to treat than the flatter foot. And I fall into that category because in general, a lot of high arch feet tend to be quite stiff. Yeah. which can make it, the foot has less tolerance to cope with things. Oh, okay. um, so, and going back to the strength and conditioning bit, everyone has the capacity to be consistent with their strength and conditioning. <laughs> it's, ju- it just, it's just finding what makes that person tick. It's finding out that, again, not all the same, not everyone needs to do the same strength and conditioning exercises. And we spoke about this before and that, it's about finding out what excites that person. What can they do? So whether it's a case of they go to the gym, whether they make a game out of it while playing with the kids, whether they do it while brushing their teeth, it's finding out what can someone do that it means it hasn't got the time to take time out of their day and overcoming those barriers. Because you'll find that actually when you can become consistent with your training, when you come consistent with your strength training, 
that's when you'll often quite find that these aches and niggles just tend to be less frequent as such. So my advice to Hannah would be, well, continue using the Superfeet if you feel happy using it and they're comfortable and they're not causing any problems. You found a solution. If you perceive that's what you need to do to keep you running, then then so be it. I wouldn't be looking at to upgrade those to a fully bespoke install because if they're doing the job, then if it's not broke, don't fix it. Yeah. Um, but should she be trying to work on her arches not collapsing? Is that is that a thing? It, again, you can't do anything about that. The, the foot is... So what you can do, though, is work on your strength so the foot has more capacity to be able to do more okay. without it. So the foot's going to do what the foot's going to do. You take the insoles out and the foot will go back to doing its normal function. The only time, three times, that the foot function is really going to change, you either have surgery... You either have a large amount of trauma um, or you start developing severe arthritis in the foot. They're the only times that that's really going to to change, really. Yeah. OK. So she doesn't need to worry at all. And she should just try and do some S&C and see how she can put it into her, her day. Yeah, and just enjoy her running. Yeah. Oh, well, that's good. That's good to know, Hannah. <laughs> Hope she enjoyed that answer to that question. She's going to be listening later. She can't. Um, she's at work today. Um, yeah. And we, we do have another question, actually, um, from Kat. Um, she thinks she mildly overpronates and always used to wear support shoes. Um, about five years ago, she started just wearing cushion shoes instead, and now she really likes Saucony Endorphin Speed 2s. Um, did she ever really need support shoes, or have they just changed over the years? Have her feet changed over the years? Yeah. So I'm going to go out and let me say she mostly didn't need the support shoes in the first place. Um, however, so we do something called 3D gait analysis in clinic. So we stick multiple markers to the whole lower limb and build a skeleton, just like out of Planet of the Apes and Avatar and what they use in Hollywood. Cool. Since doing stuff like that, I can most probably count on one hand over the seven years of using it how many times I've recommended support shoe to people. Zero? Um, I reckon about two or three. <laughs> Times. <coughs> Two or three but that was only because they had a certain foot pathology that was quite severe that needed as much support as we could get in there for them to keep them doing it the thing that she's also like is actually she's mentioned a shoe the Saconian endorphin speed yeah. which is one of these it has a nylon plate in it and has a has a rocker uh-huh. and the geometry of that shoe will function completely different to any normal shoe that shoe will, is almost similar to what hoka stumbled on and whether it's by accident or not i don't know um because hogan haven't ever really liked to work with the medical world um but having that slight rocker means that it gives you the ability to help push yourself slightly forward easier and it helps improve something called sagittal plane function and sagittal plane function is effectively the ability to drive yourself forward and how much your foot moves up and down, how much your knee bends backwards and forwards, and how much your hip goes backwards and forwards. When people speak about pronation, they speak about something what we call the frontal plane, which is how much it rolls in and out like this. And everyone focuses on that frontal plane, but my perception is actually I think sagittal plane is much more important. Oh, so rolling and forwards I, is much more and important I think, than the controlling of the moving sideways because we should move yeah. a bit sideways anyway because we should pronate. Is that? Yeah. Am I getting that right? 
Yeah. So I think actually this is why we're seeing this bit of this craze at the moment with these plated rocker shoes yeah. and a lot of people liking them because I think it helps facilitate function yeah. better. Is that basically what those carbon alpha fly two million zillion five hundred shoes do? Um, the Nike ones and the, the yeah. The well, the reason why with a point you know of why... heel that you see people running in is that what they yeah. do? They ping. They basically ping you along. That's the technical term, yeah. isn't it? They ping you along. Yeah. In in, in a nutshell, do you know why they're called the four percent originally? Oh, do they take four percent off your time? Um, you require on average four percent less energy to run in those in, shoes. In, in well, those surely shoes. that's cheating. Well, so going off track slightly. So <laughs> when Nike. When Nike done all the studies on them, they found some people improved by about 3%, some people improved up to about 7 Wow. Uh, and obviously, from a marketing perspective, the Nike 3 to 7% shoe doesn't really <laughs> ring off, whereas on average, it was 4%, so okay. that's why it's 4%. And there was, the IAFF, I think it is, did um, come in and change made some rules about the super shoes and what they can look like now i am being completely cynical here in that straight after those rules were released within a literally a week nike had a shoe that was released commercially available that went up to the complete limit of those rules wow they must have known about that a year in advance then. yeah it, 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 it's like they're the it takes years to develop. You can't develop a shoe a that week, quickly. No. <laughs> because the rules were is that I think the stack height couldn't go above 42 millimeters. Mm-hmm. That's the rules about the geometry. And it also had to be commercially available to buy. Oh, okay. Being Even able if it to was eat. 500 quid. <laughs> yeah, it, exactly. So, um, yeah, me being a cynic, Nike obviously knew what the rules were going to be. Cause, yeah. And then it was a case of all the shoes for... It would have been, was it Beijing, the Olympics, um, had a race to get their shoes out to market so that athletes could use them in competition. Yeah, wow. And I believe Nike even went one step further and said to some of the companies, well, actually, some of the athletes, we know you're sponsored by someone else, but if they don't get the shoe, we'll actually give you a shoe with no branding on. And then you can can use that. And it's sort of like they're not breaking their contracts. Yeah. Wow. But everyone knew what shoe they were. You can tell. So <laughs> yeah. You can. You don't so, need. Sorry, it's a little. Um, yeah. No. It was, just, it was just making me think because um, I'm just thinking about trail running shoes because <laughs> of this being a trail and ultra running channel predominantly. So I haven't actually tried those like Alpha Fly weird ones with the pointy heel that make you look like a pixie. Um, <laughs> but um, trail shoes don't usually have anything to do with overpronation. They they just they're like it's a neutral shoe. Um, the only the only cup the only shoe that I've tried that's had um, uh, overpronation in it as recently has been the Asics um, gel Trabuco something or other um, that I tested for T3 magazine, um, and it was it was it felt really stiff to me this shoe and I didn't actually my foot ached after running in it because yeah. it was quite stiff and my foot felt like it was working hard to bend it whereas usually you're in quite a flexible shoe that kind of molds to the train underfoot um so yeah I suppose I don't know I don't even know why we're talking about overpronation because the trail running world doesn't even really recognize it is what would you say about that well the way I think about it is if you're running on concrete you're running on a repeatable reliable surface every single time 
the history of trail running, your foot's landing in a different place, different position, different terrain, every single step. So you, you're going to want the, the foot needs to adapt to the terrain that it's on. If you're running on a canvas, if you're running over rocks, you're running over leaves, the, the foot and the shoe need to be able to adapt to that. Um, so I think that's why they don't talk about it, because they realise it's not actually that relevant. But it's it's again, it's not really relevant in the road running scene either. Yeah. Um, so but there are a couple of there is a couple of plated shoes coming out to help with um, trying to help push you forward more efficiently. Um, the North Face Vective Flight Series uh, is a shoe that I've got that I, I personally like, and they do have a carbon plate with a rocker. Okay. Um, and for me, they personally help keep my calf issues under control, along with my strength and conditioning. Um, but they are they are a firm ride underfoot. Yeah. Sacconi did make an endorphin trail shoe, but then they recalled it because I think they just made the, the rubber the foam too soft, and the shoe itself. Sorry, can you hear builders in the oh, background? Yeah, I was just wondering if it was me or, or my next door neighbours. And is somebody yeah. chopping someone's leg off? Is it an extreme case of overpronation there in the clinic? <laughs> yeah, yeah it? it's sort of, just, <laughs> someone's been speaking about too much. And that was the punishment. It's this sort of amputation. So um, my next door neighbours converting their bungalow into oh, a house. Okay, I just wondered if it was outside my house or yours. <laughs> and it's sort of like they picked perfect timing while trying to do a live, live recording. Whenever it's, it's a nice painful. day, I go out with my cameras to try and record a piece to camera with a nice blue sky in the background. And someone's chopping the head, someone's washing the car, someone's Someone's like, I don't know, building a wall, knocking something down. It's ridiculous. Mowing the lawn. That's a favourite one. Yeah. <laughs> that so, yeah, so it's, it's not really a thing in trail running. It doesn't yeah. need to be. But yeah. I think it doesn't really need to be a thing in road running either. Yes. Yeah. So what should we be doing then? Like, are there like three major things that everybody can be doing um, to to make sure that they don't have any injuries um, from like the, their foot strike? Yeah. yeah. So one is don't worry about it. Um, that's, is, a, that's a quick and easy one that we can all could. That's a quick and easy one. <laughs> My mum always used to say to me, "Thinking's a dangerous game. If you overthink things, you can sometimes think yourself into a, a problem." So first of it, just go. Don't worry about it, and just go out and enjoy it. When it comes to footwear, the best current advice we have is pick something that is comfortable. Um, and making sure it is fit for purpose. The amount of people I see in clinic who sort of say, I'm getting problems, I'm out running, I'm doing trail running, but they're using a set of road shoes and they're just slipping over left, right and centre. Yeah. So it's making sure the equipment you're using is fit for purpose. And then the third point is almost a double whammy is don't neglect your strength training and make any changes to your mileage nice and gradually. Um some people speak about this 10% rule. Mm. Um, I'm not a huge fan of it, but because if you're doing hardly any mileage, increasing by 10% is going to take you ages to get anywhere. Yeah, that's true. If you're in huge <laughs> volumes, 10% could be quite a big change. Mm. But in its principles of just making changes gradually, whilst doing some strength training and wearing shoes that are comfortable and fit for purpose and enjoying yourself, and most probably some of the key things that help reduce your risk of yeah. picking up um, picking up problems. 
And when you're doing the strength training, there's loads of different strength training out there. You can Google like wild ginger strength work and there's loads of workouts that come up. That another good person is Carla Molinaro, the Le Jog ladies record holder. She does a whole strength and conditioning. Yeah. Like um, it's her job basically. And it's a, a subscription service and you get another one, um, a new workout every week. Um, but it, I thought it was interesting when we were talking about strength training, you were saying that people don't use heavy enough weights. Um, mm -hmm. I just wondered if there was certain exercises that everybody should be doing um, and a bit of a chat around like how heavy to make things. Yeah. So when we talk about weights and exercise, people often hear about, OK, you have to do 12 repetitions and you have to do three to four sets. Everything is 12 to three. But we're all individuals. We all have different if I was to do one exercise 12 times and you were to do one exercise 12 times, we'd both have a different experience and it may be right for one of us and not the other person. So I prefer people to work on effort level, something that is called RPE mm -hmm. um, and that's a zero to 10 scale, or you can use the Borg scale, which is one to 14. And if anyone out there has a running coach, they most you, you would have heard about running to different effort scales linking back to heart rate and etc so we tend to say when you're doing any exercises always work to a seven out of ten mm -hmm. and lifting weights perspective that means that it's not easy but when you finished you could most probably do a few more reps you got a few more left in the tank but you couldn't keep going forever because from a physiological viewpoint to increase strength you need to make the exercise hard and not do many of them. Mm -hmm. So ideally, you want to drop the reps down to three to six repetitions, ideally three, keep the effort level of seven out of ten and do about five sets. Oh, okay. So how come the exercises you've given me, I've got to do eight to ten? Eight to ten is because we haven't got the weights available to that. Oh, so we have okay. to accept that if we were talking about three being the magic number, you you need access to a gym to get that. Ah, uh, okay. So, so if we look at a continuum a, a um of what muscle strength and muscular endurance, doing sort of that six to eight repetitions of something, mm -hmm. and what we'll find yourself is that we'll often give people more to start with, just to get them the habit of doing it. Yeah. And then once you're into a habit, we'll then up the resistance and drop the number of repetitions. Okay. Just because some people, if you give them heavy and low reps to begin with, they tend not to like it. So I need people to get the habit of doing something uh -huh. first. And also, if they're not doing it correctly, you could kind of hurt yourself doing it with a big weight, maybe. Possibly, yes. Um, or just not doing it correctly, correct technique or something. Yeah, the technique's often not too much of an issue per se with regards to injury. Mm. It just you may not be getting what you want out of it, so you may not be using your time most efficiently because most runners don't want to do strength training. If you give them a choice, do some strength training or go for a run, <laughs> they'll pick go for a run every day of every the week. Single time, yeah. <laughs> but the strength training, think of it as a tool to help facilitate you running when you want yeah. to run. And, and we know that actually... If you're strength training properly, 18 minutes, one eight, three times a week is all you need to do as a minimum. 18 minutes, 
three times a week strength training oh i was only doing like 20 minutes once a week yeah <laughs> so i've got to so, do it and it's a, would you do the strength training on the days that you run or not like if you're say you're running like three or four times a week would you do yeah. the strength training on the non-running days ideally yes but life gets in the way yeah. um so for example if you, you know, I I ran a half marathon at the weekend, but I also play hockey. So actually, on my training plan, in an ideal world, my training plan wouldn't have been what I've just done. But to run my first half half, half marathon, my highest mileage week was actually race week because I had a league hockey league game the day before. Yeah. So all my training was like I was still lifting heavy weights. I didn't have I I didn't taper. So it's not the text, it's by far the sterilized te- textbook half marathon approach. But I had to do what was works for me. So sometimes, and again, when I've been looking at my strength training, I've sometimes had to do strength training session the day before a hockey match, which again isn't ideal. But with work, with kids and everything, it that's the only way it works in my diary. Unfortunately, the majority of us out there aren't elite level athletes. We have to go to work to pay the bills, to buy new running shoes, to pay the race entry fees, to pay the hotel costs and everything on those lines. So it's a case of, yes, there's the ideal, but don't get bogged down into what happens if I sit outside the ideal because we're not paid athletes. We're not paid to run for a living. Yeah. Well, I was just wondering whether it's better to do, like, if you are going to do it on a running day, the strength and conditioning, like, 10 minutes or so that you're going to do, um, should you do it before or after your run? And trail running, Phil has made a really good point here. He says he finds a brief 10-minute session after a run is a good way of fitting the strength and conditioning in because you're already warmed up and you're doing it just before your shower. So it kind of, like, just adds on a little bit to your run. Um, do you what what do you think about that or yeah. should you do it at the beginning no no there, there is no it doesn't matter okay. from a body perspective it doesn't matter when you start first start doing so my only bit of advice is don't start strength training properly when you're about to come up to race day because okay. if if you do strength training properly there's a risk you're going to get what we call doms that delayed onset muscle soreness and we've all had them as runners of You've gone out, you push yourself slightly too hard, you woke up the next morning, the legs are just a little stiff and they just feel a little and you may find that with with strength training. Um but once the body gets used to doing that, so I'm in a position well, I can do heavy weights before a hockey match, and that doesn't really have any impact on my legs because I've been doing it for so long now, my body is just accustomed to doing that. It is used to doing that. So my advice is it doesn't matter what time of day you do it. But I wouldn't start doing it sort of the week before a race. I'd wait until the race is over. Yeah. Hence why most elite athletes will, they won't look to increase their strength during race season. They'll just maintain it. Mm-hmm. And in the winter, mm-hmm. they'll then start lifting heavy again. And if it doesn't matter if they slightly overcook it because they haven't got a race in the diary. Uh, oh, okay. So this is the perfect timing to be having this chat about the fact that overpronation doesn't really exist. You shouldn't really worry about it. Don't bother with stability shoes. Just do your strength training and train incrementally. This is the perfect time to be talking about it yeah. because it's approaching winter, uh, apart from the London Marathon uh, this weekend. Um, yeah. Oh, I don't know if anyone from watching this channel will be doing that kind of thing, but there's not tons and tons of trail races over the winter. It all kicks off again kind of April, really. So this is the perfect time, isn't it, for everybody to 
to yeah. reassign, like redevelop their training plan based on this chat. Yeah, exactly. So we've got one runner we help manage her strength and conditioning along with her running coach. And I think she's got the Clarendon Way um, marathon in next this weekend. I think it was next weekend. And then after that, we're then going to be then hitting the weights hard yeah. with her because that's her season over then. So you use your winter period to get strong. And your winter running is normally really slow pace isn't about it it's just about just getting miles under the belt sometimes and it's just about just that super easy training yeah. use this time really now to build up that strength because i can guarantee you if you can do that mm-hmm. and then when you then start training for events again you're going to go into it with all oh, heap more energy you're going to feel much better about yourself and we see it all the time patients who have got injured who've after seeing us and we've taken them through this strengthening rehab process will quite often then come back in their first event, run a PB, because all we've done, we just made them fitter and stronger, more efficient athletes, and they then can run quicker for longer, and they're all really happy, because it's just, it's one of those things that it's, I describe it, if you think of it, if you play tennis, you'd go have coaching, you're trained to play tennis, but running is very easy, just to go out and just get out and go, and that's one of the beautiful things about trail running, is that you can be, just go out and go, and forget about your work day and everything and just enjoy yourself um but we're never really taught about the importance of looking after yourself so yes you do your strength training yes you have your healthy diet yes you're making sure you're getting adequate amounts of sleep those are the key things not really worrying about the overpronation side of things and it may be relevant in some people but if we're talking on mass the majority better addressing what i call the bigger picture which is the sleep the diet the training the strengthening because that's more than likely to have an effect on people and a lot of patients will see will say you've got this problem what your foot's doing may be related to it it may not but there's also a chance well actually if we just make you a little bit fitter and stronger your body can cope with it better so even if your foot is involved it doesn't really matter because it's not causing you any problems anymore so we don't need to worry about it yeah okay well that's really good advice um i thought we were going to be talking more about over pronation and pronation but actually it's not really about it because it doesn't exist anyway no. so, so we're talking about strength and we're talking about training yeah. gradually upping the training gradually um and so if we talk about over pronation there was a colleague of mine ian griffiths who made a nice diagram once and if you imagine you're in a lift and you've got three floors up and three floors down. And if we say the higher you go, the more overpronation you get, yeah. the lower you go, the more supination you get, which is the opposite, the rolling out. If you have a, a someone starting at level two and they end at level three, so the maximal, the flattest as the flat your feet can get, they have moved one level. If you have someone that starts at minus three and ends up at zero, so a flat, a foot that looks completely normal, people will say the first instance, the one who's moved one level is an overpronated foot. But actually, it's only moved a small amount. Actually, if you're talking about pronation, the one that started on minus three and gone to zero has actually moved a lot more, but visually, when you look at it with the eye, you can't tell that. 
And this is part of the reason as to why there are so many myths out there about it, is that I, I think when we look at overpronation, we're, we're asking the wrong questions and we're looking at the wrong the wrong things. For me, I'm more worried about if you are going to look at it, how long someone spends in that position and the speed in which someone does it. So if you looked at Gabriel Salati, every slow motion running, yes, his foot moves a lot and it's super flat, but it always looks so beautifully controlled and nice and slow. And the body will adapt and cope with that really, really well. Um, but if you get something that moves really, really fast, the body doesn't like it because it's a sudden change of of movement very quickly. So the muscles and the tendons have to work a lot harder to cope with that velocity, that speed of speed of motion. So this is the thing why it gets awfully complex, because in the research, I think we've been asking the wrong questions a lot of the time. And then I think when we then look at it from trying to buy a running shoe, we're looking at one small thing and when we're forgetting the other 80% of everything else that's going on. Yeah, it's like we want a quick fix. We want to buy a shoe to fix the problem. When actually yes. we've got to spend 20 minutes three times a week doing some kind of boring work. <laughs> yeah. Put the and the thing, <laughs> yeah, and it is one of those things that there was a study done and I think it is they asked a load of runners around about uh, what do you contribute towards injuries and what's the first thing you do yeah and i think it was in the high 70s or even higher yeah they went and changed their shoes everything was blamed on the shoes yeah. i need new shoes yeah it's a quick fix and it's you know it's something yeah. that you can easily do and feel good about and spend money on and you're like yes i've done this and there we go or you pay a physio and you pay them to put your hips back straight and pummel you about a bit make some things hurt make some things ease yeah. some things off and you think yeah done that sorted they give you a list of exercises you're like nah I don't bother them yeah and it's the exercise that's the important part and we go back to the runners and shoe thing is that the actually the research shows I think it's less than 10 percent of actually running related injuries are related to footwear so there's this massive disparity that runners believe everything's related to footwear when the science doesn't yeah. support that. And that's the same thing we're having with overpronation. Yeah. Um, yeah. The issue is there's a lot of healthcare professionals that haven't kept up with it, shall we say? Oh, okay. Um, <laughs> and there's also some that it's it's very easy to see a flat foot and flog someone an insole yeah. and say, you need this. But a lot of the time that's not so I will come in, I'll see patients, they'll come in with a bag of insoles, literally a carrier bag, wow. and they're like, I need another insole. And I'm like, you've literally got 20 pairs in there. That, the last thing you need, <laughs> the last thing you need is another insole that's going to sit in that bag and not work <laughs> yeah. for you. But again, it goes back to, it's that quick fix mentality. Quick it's mentality. that yeah. someone sort of giving you a quick rub down and whatnot and saying, off you go. Yeah. It's But actually it's getting down yeah. And I think it comes down to an education thing. Education is key. Yeah. Um, it, we're not cars, are we? You can't take us to the mechanic and they fix us and then we go out shiny and new again. Um, yeah. Yeah. We've My life would be so much easier. <laughs> if people were like uh, that. But yeah. it would be boring. My yeah. job would be boring. So. <laughs> oh, well, I hope you've just got a few more minutes with us, Nick, because yeah, yeah. we've got three questions coming on the live chat. So um, Saragon McKenney says, um, are there certain types of no equipment activity that can improve strength? Like what would your top no equipment strength um, moves be? Yeah. So when we say no equipment, everyone actually has equipment. Um, 
everyone has a bag for life. <laughs> everyone most probably has hundreds of bags for life at the moment because we've all been oh, to yeah. the supermarket, <laughs> forgot them and had to buy another one. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and we're in clinic and we actually put 60 kilograms in a bag for life and it didn't break. Um, and we so you have tins of baked beans, you have empty bottles that you can fill with water. Um, and the beauty of water, you know, a litre is a kilogram. Mm-hmm. We do so, now. <laughs> yeah, I, I would say wine bottles, but if you've got hundreds of empty wine bottles, then there's another issue <laughs> you going need to on. You take a long, hard look at yourself. <laughs> um, so you can actually do stuff around the house with that. And for me, if you learn to think of three core exercises, it's an exercise that looks at the gluteals it's an exercise that looks at the calf and then it's an exercise that maybe looks at the quads or hamstrings um, region so for me calf raises should be in this one of the staple exercises all runners do and that's straight knee calf raises and also bent knee calf raises now the bent knee calf raises actually can be very difficult to do which is good you want an exercise that is hard and you also want someone to feel like you've done an exercise. And, yeah, that was hard. I've had a bit of a workout. You get that endorphin rush. You feel good about yourself because you feel like I'm doing something positive. If you can sit there and bash out 100 or something, you're like, oh, I'm bored now. I'm not going to do it. And you won't see the benefit. Um, but to do bent knee calf raises, you normally need to use a towel, a belt, a bit of rope, something where you can then really lean back, squat, try and get that knee to 90 degrees and then start doing calf raises with a bent knee. Now, the reason why I think that is one of the most important exercises is if we look at the calf, the majority of people have two calf muscles, some have three. Um, and if you look at the main two, gastrocnemius, gastrocnemius is the most superficial one. So if you look at your leg, you move your foot up and down, that's what you can see moving, gastrocnemius, and you'll see there's two bulges, two heads to it, and that's super, the most superficial. Sitting behind that is a muscle called soleus. Soleus gets forgotten about, and in my eyes, is quite often the root of all evil. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, because when you look at how much hard those muscles work, gastrocnemius, I think, is about three times body weight on running. Soleus is eight times body weight wow. on running. So it works a lot harder. So every patient we see in clinic who has plantar fascia issues, Achilles problems, when we look at their soleus, there's always some strength work to be to be done on that. And that's what and the reason why you have to bend the knee is just to bore people with a bit of anatomy. Your gastrocnemius actually starts its life above your knee. So if you bend your knee, you get a crease down the back of the knee. Gastrocnemius starts above that. So if you put a 90 degree kink in your knee, so bend the knee to 90 degrees, you basically inhibit that gastrocnemius from working and you do a calf raise of a bent knee, that means you're just isolating soleus. Um, then there's also a great exercise is what I call banded walks. Um, so you can get hold of, and I think I've sent you some, Claire, yeah. some little bands. I'm literally doing my exercises under the desk as we speak. Yeah. <laughs> Because I'm um, you can, it reminded me, oh my goodness, I haven't done them today. <laughs> and you can do little exercises with those bands. So yes, it is a bit of equipment, but that literally can fold up and go in your pocket. 
you get them from Nick's website. I'll put a link in the film description below oh, or the podcast hey. notes. Oh, there's a nice picture of Nick yeah. on here. They sent it to yeah. me. Oh, dear. My whole address is on there. Whoops. Oh, yeah. <laughs> um, Don't be sending so, me foul mail, everybody. Yeah. So you can do what I call lateral band walks. So that's literally you put them around your feet, you bend your knees, and you crab walk across your dining room, your kitchen, wherever. And that's a great exercise to What's get the, the glutes work. Oh, going like um, one foot, one foot, like going right, like yeah, right going foot, right, left foot, left foot, right foot, left foot, right foot, left foot, but yeah. just going right all the time. Okay, like a, yeah. like a crab then, walking sideways. I see. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and then then go the other one. I I've got videos of all these exercises. I can send them to you, and then you can then send them out to people. Yeah. Oh, uh, well, if anyone wants to book in with you, then they could get a whole review of what they need to do, can't they? Because it must be yes. slightly different for everyone. But yeah. Yeah. So calf raises bent knee car yep. phrases and this crab walk with a resistance yep. band so you, they and do the final a one kit. and then the final one would be squats oh okay squats um now yeah with the if, 60 kilogram bags yep ideally or if you haven't got a bag for life and some <laughs> food or food or water um doing some a really good exercise a really difficult it's something called a bulgarian split squat and <gasps> That is basically you will put one foot on your sofa, your bed, and you rest the the, door, the top of your foot on there. You then basically, with the other foot, step forward. So you're, you're stood up with one leg straight and the other foot bent, resting on your sofa. Keeping that foot on the sofa, you bend your knee of the straight leg until your knee or the bent leg touches the floor, and then you drive yourself up. That that's a fantastic exercise. It's difficult to do. You can make it harder by adding weights and everything along those lines. But that I like that because that's a single leg exercise, and you get a bit of quad workout. You get a bit of, a bit of glutes. You get a bit of hamstrings. So that's a really good sort of sort of ticking a lot of boxes. Cool. Okay, that one sounds a bit complicated. I think um, if you do give me the links to those exercises, I'll just give them to patrons. So if anyone's a patron of Wild Ginger Running YouTube channel, then you can access these exercises and, and do them three times a week, as Nick is suggesting. Um, yeah. That is fantastic. Um, we've got two more questions. Is that okay? We've yeah. Got a yeah, yeah, minutes. I've got time. Um, uh, today, today's You Cantwell says, um, what are Nick's views on shoes with an arch versus zero drop shoes? So it's kind yeah. of comparing two completely different things yeah. there. So... The zero drop craze sort of went off with a book called Born to Run. And it was like, and then you had the Vivo Barefoot. And then there was this whole sort of like, Barefoot's great, maximum shoes are bad. And there's this whole sort of beef between the two form. When actually, it doesn't matter. It's um, wearing barefoot type shoes will not reduce your risk of injuries. Wearing normal shoes will not reduce your risk of injuries. You just get different injuries. Oh, really? <laughs> so, so we tend to find people who wear barefoot, the most common injuries I see people who barefoot run is calf, Achilles, ankle-related issues. Mm -hmm. And then the higher the drop you go on the shoe, the more people come in with knee or hip problems. Okay. So you just transfer the load to different places. Mm -hmm. The load going through the body is a constant. Mm -hmm. So I have got nothing against barefoot shoes. My only advice is if you want to transition to barefoot shoes, take around four to six months to gradually progress out of normal shoes. 
into barefoot shoes because it is a big change for the body. And if you do it any quicker than that, you just increase your risk of getting injured. Um, and for example, if you've had someone who's had a neuroma before or a fractured metatarsal, then possibly doing all your stuff in barefoot shoes may not be the most sensible thing because the biggest risk of having an injury is having a history of that injury before. Mm -hmm. um, so yeah, it, they're not bad. It's just horses for courses. Yeah. It's like for me, I've naturally had calf issues in the past. I've got very stiff feet. Um, I keep up my strength training, but my my foot type and my body, I, I just don't, my body, I just don't fit a, a, a zero drop shoe that well i need some of a rocker or i need something with a heel raise a higher drop because that suits my body better yeah it's almost like cinderella like we we want to pick the brands we want to pick the shoes but actually the shoe will pick you yeah and you've got to try about that many haven't you before you actually find the right one yeah yeah you've got um, to try all hundreds pile of shoes behind me <laughs> yeah yeah oh thanks uh, nick that was a really good um, answer there. I hope that answered your questions, Tadeusz. And Bryony A said, sorry, missed the beginning and this may have already been covered, but she supinates. I don't know if we've covered anyone who supinates before. She says she has yep. high arches. I don't want to use special insoles. Do I have to or can specific strength work help my niggles? Oh, I think we have answered this basically. Um, but yeah. yeah, what would you say? So in a nutshell, everyone supinates everyone pronates it's a normal motion so don't worry about it too much you don't need special insoles all of the time um you may find there are different things in that strengthening work gait re-education different shoes can be helpful the way we describe it with patients is almost like you've got all these different ways to treat different things it's about picking the right tool from the hypothetical toolbox to give you the solution to help resolve the problem that you have got and there'll be some people that are happy to use insoles there'll be some people who don't want to use insoles and that's not a good thing it's not a bad thing but it doesn't mean it's like every door is then shut there are still other things that you can do so for example i'll wear insoles for hockey but that's the only time i wear insoles i don't wear insoles at any other time because i need my foot seems to like them when i play hockey but i can run a half marathon and I don't need them. I can go do strength training. I don't need them. So I think there's a lot of education to be had about what an insole can actually do for people. Um, but if you've got a supinated foot type, no, you don't always need an insole. But actually doing some strength training could definitely help get rid of the niggles. And a lot of the patients will see, we'll lay all this out to them. And they're like, well, actually, can we just get a little bit fitter and stronger first? And then if I still got the niggles, go down the insole at a later date, because you may need the insole, you may not. But being a bit fitter and stronger is never a bad, never a bad thing. Yeah. And when you, you know, like if somebody was to come to you and book an appointment and yeah. um, you sort of gave them these exercises, you analyzed it, you gave them the exercises to do, you talked about training with them. How long would it take to see any kind of changes, do you think? How long do people have to stick at this? So you have to stick at it for a good 12 to 14 weeks. Okay. Um, so the structure we would do, if you go through a rehab program with us, uh, we, we um, audit all our own data in clinic. 
So we know on average it will take you five sessions over at 14 to 16 weeks to get you to where you want to get to. But what we tend to find is that the first three sessions have to be done within a month because there's a lot of questions there's a lot of anxiety and fear about re-injury and and everything on those lines and then what we find after that once people understand it and learn a bit more you then leave it longer and longer between appointments because the aim is from our perspective is to teach you how to manage this yourself and show you why this is important you then see the differences in performance you see the differences in the symptoms settling down and then you understand why it's important as soon as you understand you get what i call that emotional buy-in once you've got that you will always do some form of strengthening work because in your head it's worth the time investment to help you run mm. more often yeah. um, and we know if you follow that process our own data set shows us that well there's about a 97 percent chance if you follow that protocol that you'll get what you want out of it at the end and so where can people find you if people have been listening to this today and they're like, oh, my goodness, I must have a chat with Nick. I've got to sort yeah. out all my niggles and make me run stronger and happier for the rest of my life. Um, what should, yeah. How should people find you and follow you? Um, so they can just it, nkactive.co.uk is the main website. Um, nkactive on Facebook, nkactive clinics on um, Instagram and nkactive clinics on TikTok. TikTok. Uh, oh, I haven't even done yeah. TikTok yet. <laughs> yeah, um, <laughs> you're there with your yeah. dancing. Are you dancing? <laughs> I, I'm not dancing, no, whatsoever. It's sort of uh, <laughs> that would be like, that may get a lot of attract a lot of attention, but for the wrong reasons. <laughs> <laughs> might go viral you never know yeah <laughs> oh well thank you so much nick it's been really lovely to chat to you today thank you for giving us all oh, and just over an hour of your time that's been brilliant um anytime yeah uh thank you so much for talking to us about overpronation i believe we've got you back to talk about strength work in particular at midday on thursday the 27th of october so we'll delve a little bit deeper dive into the world of strength work then um and yeah we'll be putting some of these um, strength work uh, moves that you mentioned um, uh, up for patrons later so if if you're a patron you'll benefit from that for a patron of Wild Ginger Running um, but if you are interested in getting a session with Nick then just go on his website and you do them online don't you via Zoom um, so you can yep, really can see anyone from anywhere yeah any of that we've got four patients in the US at the moment one in Australia so cool. yeah or you can or I say we're based Southampton Romsey area so if people want to come in face to face then we do that as well awesome well thank you very much Nick and we shall be seeing you soon no thank you very much for asking me to come on cool see you everybody thank you thank you for all your questions and um, see you later. yeah we'll see you soon thanks, thank guys. you bye